Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John, and this is the 36th program in this series where I am in John chapter 8 with regards to the woman who was caught in adultery. Now, in the previous program, I explained the background with regards to this circumstance, this confrontation that was taking place in the temple. And in this program, I would like to start out by explaining that at no time was this woman's life in danger. According to the Mosaic Law, if a person commits adultery, they are to be executed Adultery was not a reason for divorce. It was a reason for an execution. That was the penalty for adultery. But the religious leaders of the Jews, the rulers there of the Jews at that time, did not have the authority to execute anyone. The Romans were in charge of the region at this time, and they did not permit anyone besides themselves. They did not permit anyone to perform an execution. And so even though the rulers of the Jews, the Jewish rulers, were governing according to the Mosaic law, even though they were doing that, the Romans did not permit them, did not allow them to fulfill all of the Mosaic law, those parts with regards to performing executions for violations of the law for when people commit sin. And so at no time was this woman's life in danger. They got her, they captured her, they dragged her into the temple, and they were going to let her go. They were not going to kill her. This was not about adultery. This was not about the woman. This was not about any sin that she might or might not have committed. This was about Jesus. They didn't care about the woman. They didn't care about the adultery. They cared about Jesus, and they were trying to find a way to accuse Jesus of violating the Mosaic law. So again, in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 2, it says, Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, this is Jesus, and all the people came to him And he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Well, Jesus would have to say in verse 5, according to the law, He would have to say, throw rocks at her until she's dead. That's what the law says. He does not say that. And the reason why was because that's not all that Moses said. He does not respond to their request for him to pass judgment. He does not respond to their request to give a judgment because... 
This is not all that Moses had to say. For example, in Leviticus chapter 20, with regards to the law of adultery, in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, it says, The man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. That's what the law says. So it does say that the adulteress should be put to death. But that's not all that it says. It says that the adulterer also needs to be put to death. So where is he? He's not there, as far as anybody can tell. He's not there. And so no one can execute the law of Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, with regards to performing an execution, because we don't have both the man and the woman. Both of them have to be executed. And so what they are presenting to Jesus is incomplete. They don't have the adulterer present. And this would be necessary. In verse 6, this they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. How could they accuse him with this? Well, if he responds and says, yes, I agree with Moses, then they could say, well, according to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, we need the adulterer to be present also. And so you have given a false judgment. You have given a judgment. You have said something. You have testified as a witness, in effect, of the law of Moses. You have participated in what could have been an unlawful execution. So if Jesus says yes, then he would have violated Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. But if he says no, then he violates the law of Moses because the law does state that she should be executed. So this is the setup. If he says yes, he violates the law. If he says no, he violates the law. So, what does he do? In verse 6, But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. That's what he does. Because there is no way to win if he answers the question with yes or no. There's more in the law. The law has a lot to say about these things. In Exodus chapter 23, Exodus chapter 23, verse 1, it says, You shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. He could violate this one as well. If he would have said yes, then he would be following the crowd. There's the crowd. To do evil, to turn aside and pervert justice. We've only got the woman. We don't have the man. This would be a perversion of justice. So there are many ways that they would have been able to accuse Jesus of violating the Mosaic law legitimately if he would have responded with a yes. And if he would have responded with a no, then he would be denying the law of Moses.
So he writes on the ground with his finger as if he didn't hear anything that they had to say. So what are they going to do? They're not going to just walk away. They persist in verse 7. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. He does not answer the question with a yes or no. He responds to their persistence with, hey, if this is the way things are, this is what you should do. So what will they do? How will they respond to that? Is anyone there going to throw a stone at her first? Now, by saying he who is without sin among you, that doesn't mean that there needs to be a sinless person who has no sin in their life at all, and they qualify to be the person to throw the stone. That's not what it means, because if that was the case, then that would be contrary to the Mosaic Law, because the Mosaic Law did not require that. But according to Exodus chapter 23, verse 1, they would be committing a sin by throwing the stone. That's how they would be committing a sin. They would be perverting justice and following a crowd to do evil. So what they set him up with, he turns around and sets them up with the very setup that they gave to him. He does not answer their question. He does not participate in passing judgment. He is not going to be part of a trial for adultery like they are asking him to. He's not going to be a part of that at all. Instead, what he says, look, if you're going to do something, if you're going to perform an execution, and we all know you're not, but if you are, if you're going to throw a stone at her, then let it be a person who will do it according to all that Moses had to say. Not just part of what Moses had to say, but according to all that Moses had to say. In fact, whoever is the witness who caught her committing the act of adultery, that is the person who has to throw the first stone. According to Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6, Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6, Whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. It appears that they have more than one witness. But then in verse 7, The hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death. And afterward, the hands of all the people. All right, so whoever's going to do it first has to be the one who is the witness who caught them in the act. If it's not that person, then they are committing a sin by throwing the first stone. So it better be that person. But if it is that person, and that person throws the first stone, they would be in violation of Exodus chapter 23, Verse 1, because they are perverting justice and they are following a crowd to do evil. So, what are they going to do? In verse 8, and again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, some people have been asking, what was he writing? 
And some people will talk about this as if somehow the more we talk about what he was writing on the ground, the more we look at it, the more we have debates about it, the more we speculate about what he was writing, that somehow what he wrote will appear on the page that we're reading in the scriptures. What he wrote will somehow miraculously appear and we will know exactly what he was writing. But the way that this was written, the emphasis is not on what he was writing. What he wrote in the sand is gone. It's not available to us anymore. The emphasis was on his finger. That's the emphasis in John chapter 8, verses 6 and verse 8. It has to do with his finger. And I believe that the reason why John wrote this and emphasizes the finger so much is because this was the person who wrote the law with his finger on the stone tablets. This is the guy. This is God. He's manifested in the flesh and they're questioning him about the law that he wrote with his own finger, challenging him over the law, wanting to pass judgment against him over the law. That's what John emphasizes when he records what Jesus did. Continuing in verse 9, though, then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. Now, some people have suggested that those who are older have more sins that could be held against them and that they would be less qualified to throw the first stone. That's not what this is about. It's not about that at all. Some people like to teach that, but that simply is not the case. It has to do with the violation of the law Exodus chapter 23, verse 1, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. It has to do with those particular sins, not sin in general. It has to do with the setup and the fact that they themselves were set up by Jesus with the same trap that they presented to him. The reference with regards to people leaving one by one from the oldest to the youngest has to do with a trial and how judgment was supposed to be executed during a trial. When there was a trial, there would be a set of judges, and everyone there is effectively acting as if they are a judge. They are acting as a judge against the woman who committed adultery. They're wanting to act as a judge against Jesus. Everyone is there in order to be a judge at a trial, somebody's trial, the woman's trial, Jesus's trial. Let's just have a trial. But according to the laws of the Sanhedrin, when a judgment is given, the judges have to present their decisions from the youngest to the oldest. That was required according to the laws of the Sanhedrin regarding trials. And the reason why was because they did not want the younger judges to be influenced by the older judges. Some of the older judges could very well have been their mentors, and they did not want the younger judges to be influenced by someone else there in the Sanhedrin or at a trial, because if they did, then that would not be considered to be a legitimate decision 
by a judge, if they're influenced by somebody else. They need to make a decision according to their own convictions and their own knowledge of the Mosaic law. And so when John recorded that the older judges left before the younger ones did, that's what he was recording. That was what he was emphasizing, was the fact that this situation was so bad, it was so out of order, that even the older judges presented their judgment before the younger ones did. They just walked away. And this would have influenced the younger judges thinking, well, my mentor just walked away. He just left. I guess I probably had better step aside from this situation also. So again, in John chapter 8, verse 9, then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience, knowing what they were doing, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? The woman stayed. She stayed there with Jesus. Here was the man who spoke to all of these bullies, who did not have the right to execute her anyway, with all these bullies, and she stays there with Jesus. Here's the man who got her out of this situation. They are now leaving her alone. But what can she say? She committed adultery. She violated the Mosaic law. She knows it. Everybody knows it. Jesus knows it. And she's standing there waiting for Jesus. Where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11, she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. She calls him Lord. She recognizes who he is. She gives a public confession that she believes in Jesus. She doesn't know what to do now, but but she does believe in Jesus. And she's waiting for some kind of guidance, some kind of instruction, something. What does she do with her life now? What does she do? And he says, I don't condemn you, which is correct, which is appropriate. He has to do that. Even though she violated the law, the law is structured in a way that it will protect those who did not violate the law and yet were accused of violating the law. The law was structured in a way that it is better for a person to be set free who is guilty than for a person to be punished when they are not guilty. And so this is a circumstance where not all of the law's requirements are fulfilled, such as the man is not present, there would be a perversion of justice, In this case, it is better for her to go free than for her to be punished and there to be a perversion of justice through her execution. So Jesus is not going to condemn her. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now he knows full well that she 
is going to commit sin again. Maybe not adultery, but there will be something. She will. That's just the way that we are. That's just the way that life is. When you have a world filled with people like us, there is going to be plenty of sin in the future. She is going to commit sin. So there will be new opportunities for discussions in the near future. But Jesus has to be true to the Mosaic Law. And the Mosaic Law says that there are some things that are sin, and we are not to do those things. And so he teaches the law. He tells her the law. He says, this is the law. Don't violate the law. This will, of course, do nothing to change the condition of your heart. It will do nothing to change your relationship with God. There will have to be a new covenant. There will have to be something else. And that's what Jesus was there to do. He was not there for the purpose of executing the law as a judge or as a member of the Sanhedrin or anything like that. He was there to teach the law, to show that everyone was condemned by the law. That is a truth that is revealed so that everyone will know that they have no hope outside of the grace and mercy of God, which is what he will soon provide through the crucifixion and the resurrection that he will soon do as a resolution to the sins of humanity and to the spiritual death of humanity. So Jesus went to the temple the day after the Feast of Tabernacles came to an end. All the people who were there assembled together to listen to what Jesus had to say. And he taught them. And then some other people, who were a bunch of bullies, took some woman who was guilty of committing adultery. They had no authority to do anything about this adultery. But they brought her before Jesus to use her as a tool to try and set him up so that they could accuse him of violating the Mosaic Law. They didn't care about her violating the Mosaic Law. It was about Jesus, and they wanted to accuse him of violating the Mosaic Law. So they set him up, and he overcame the setup, and then they walked away. They walked away and left the woman who they brought to him, and she conceded, she confessed, that Jesus was Lord, in effect, that he is the Messiah. And so he did not convince any of those people who went to him to try to entrap him. He overcame the trap, but they still did not accept him as the Messiah. She did. He got one person, one person out of that entire confrontation out of all of those people, one person, this woman who was guilty of adultery, believed in him. To him, this was a victory. This was success. And as all of those people were walking away, he effectively said, hey, wait a minute, we're not done yet. In verse 12, then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me 
shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. You can just imagine these people turning back and looking at him and saying this. The Pharisees therefore said to him, Hey, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. But it is true. In verse 14, Jesus answered and said to them, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from and where I am going. As they were walking away telling them, You don't know. You don't know me. You don't know anything. But I am the light of the world. Now this was very profound because on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles was the ceremony of the lights. And they would light these lamps in the temple compound. So many of them with such intensity that it would illuminate the entire city of Jerusalem. But this is the day after. This is when the lights are out. But Jesus is still there. And he is the light of the world. Even though there were some people, most of the people, who rejected him, he knew who he was. And he was going to do what his God sent him to do. And I will continue with this in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 36th program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in John chapter 8, verses 3 through 11, where I explained the conflict that Jesus had with a number of people in the temple compound, and this was the day after the Feast of Tabernacles came to an end. They brought a woman who was found committing adultery, and they tried to use her to entrap Jesus in a way that they would be able to accuse him of violating the Mosaic Law. I explained several passages in the Mosaic Law that he would have violated if he would have said yes to their question. And I explained how he turned the trap around on them and showed that they were in violation of the Mosaic Law. They tried to walk away, but Jesus used the opportunity to speak to them and testify of who he really was. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.